Hi, I'm Josh Shearer and I serve as the lead pastor here at Gawley Uniting Church. I wanted to personally thank you for joining us today. We exist as a church to see lives transformed with the good news of Jesus. Now, I hope this service inspires you. I hope it blesses you. I hope it builds your faith and I hope it gives you perspective that God is moving in your life. If there is anything that we can do to help you, don't be afraid to reach out on social media or email our office. Thanks for joining us again and let's get to the service. Well, as we jump into the word today, we are starting a new series called Refresh. And launching into this new year, I just had a sense that it was important to take some time to remind ourselves of some of the key elements of our journey as followers of Jesus within this local Gawler context. So over the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at firstly our vision, why we exist and what that, what that really means. What, what are we working towards? Next week, we're going to look at what it means to go public with our faith and looking at baptism. Week three is centering ourselves on scripture and a spiritual practice we have called living water. And then fourthly, we're going to look at the importance of intentional community in life groups. We're not meant to do faith alone and having people around us to support us is vital in our journey of faith. And so today I want to spend some time bringing our vision into focus. It's that why behind our life and activities as a local church. And if you've been part of our community for a while, you probably know all of this stuff already. If I asked you, I'm sure you could quote our vision back to me. But for those of you that are visiting or relatively new to our community, our vision is simply this, to see lives transformed with the good news of Jesus. It's painted on the wall of our church, it's on our website, it's on banners, it's on our social pages, it's everywhere. And, and why? Because we believe it's the central reason that we exist as a local church. Not just to gather for worship on Sundays when we're even able to do that. Not just to do good in our community, although that's important. But to see lives transformed. People, people see people's lives transformed. And the, the point of a vision or, or a purpose is not to stay printed on a wall, printed on a banner, or to sit in a strategic planning document. The, the, the point of it is, is that it unites, inspires, and refines what we do. And that's why it's so important that we talk about it. And one of the key words in the vision that we have is the word transforming. But the question becomes, what does it mean to be transformed? What is being transformed? And people's lives are being transformed, your life and my life. And it's, but it's important to realize at this point that it's not us that does the transforming because that's beyond our ability. I could be the most gifted communicator you've ever heard, but I can't bring transformation in your life. We could have fancy church programs, super polished worship gatherings, incredible influence on our social media accounts, but none of it can actually transform your heart or my heart. There's only one thing that can, the good news. And, and it's not just any good news. It's the greatest news the world has ever known, the good news or the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the Bible verse that underpins our vision is a verse from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And it says this, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, 
Offer yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is our true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. And and the background to this passage is that it was written by the Apostle Paul, who was about the same age as Jesus. He'd resolved that he knew the truth about God so clearly that these early followers of Jesus must be heretics. And he sets about persecuting them. That is until he meets Jesus for himself. And he has this radical transformation you can read about in Acts chapter 9. And Paul ultimately becomes an apostle, which kind of means a witness to the truth. And his letters to the churches make up more than half of the New Testament itself. Romans, then, is his letter to the early church in Rome. Paul offers an incredible systematic explanation of what God has done for us through Jesus. And Romans is possibly the greatest single piece of ancient literature the world has ever known. It's clear, it's eloquent, it's systematic, and it presents an incredible argument in the ancient Jewish rhetoric style. You need to read it for yourself and for if to simplify it in a way that does, well, it does no justice for it at all. Paul essentially says that because of sin, which is understood as selfishness in our nature, we are essentially separated from God, you and I. But Jesus paid the price of death needed to conquer sin and make relational connection with God possible once more. And what makes it such good news is that Jesus offered his life willingly as a gift of grace, which we receive purely through faith. It can't be received any other way. And if we try and earn it, we actually don't receive it. It's an act of mercy by God towards us. And in view of that, Paul writes, the only response we can possibly offer is to commit our lives to God as a living sacrifice. Now, this is not a sacrifice that costs us life because the death has already been offered. So this is a living sacrifice. It's a dying to self and being raised to new life in Christ. It's about life. And I'm going to explore that a little bit more next week when we look at baptism. But Paul's expression of our life as a living sacrifice, that's how he describes the way we extend gratitude. And by giving giving God the glory and the honour that he deserves. We do that by committing our life. To him, not to receive God's grace, but in response to what God has done for us. And when we do, something begins to happen. A change begins. And it it creates an intersection in our life. It takes us on a new trajectory. One not ultimately determined by our desires and our selfish nature, but it's determined and shaped by the God that created us and has our best in mind. And Paul describes this trajectory shift with the word transformation, a renewing of our mind, of the shifting of our worldview, a maturity in faith. And this word transformation is an interesting one. It's the word metamorpho, which literally means, in the ancient language, literally means to change form. But what does it mean? To help us understand it, it's mentioned four times in the New Testament. And two of them describe different accounts of the same event, the transfiguration as as it's recorded in Matthew and Mark's gospel accounts of Jesus' life. 
Let's read about it in Mark chapter 9, verses 2 to 9. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up the high mountain where they were all alone. And there he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could ever bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah, the greatest prophet, and Moses, the, the represented the law. Both of them were talking to Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let's set up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He didn't know what to say. They were so frightened at this moment. But then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud, and it said, This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. And suddenly, when they looked around, they, only, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. Elijah and Moses were gone. And it's in this moment that the disciples get to witness Jesus in his divine glory. There's a bunch of other things going on in this, but today I want to focus on that transformation. Jesus is transformed, literally metamorpho, for a moment in time, before their eyes, into his true divine nature, revealing his perfection. And it's no coincidence then that Paul has this very thing in mind when he talks about our transformation as followers of Jesus. He uses the same word. What is happening to us if we choose to trust with our trust Jesus with our life is that we find ourselves on a trajectory towards being like Jesus. In a word, a journey towards perfection. But that transformation takes the remainder of our life. It involves allowing God to work in us and develop, shape, and even redeem the things that we know about ourselves that were incompatible with God's character. But it probably includes some stuff that we hadn't planned and we didn't even realize needed some work. And we're going to focus on on that stuff in weeks three and four of this series. But the famous writer C.S. Lewis, in his book Mere Christianity, explains this explains it this way. He says, imagine yourself as a living house and God comes to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps you understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right, stopping the leaks in the roof, doing the stuff that you knew, knew needed doing. And you're not really surprised by that. But, but, but he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts and doesn't seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one that you thought of. He's throwing out an extra, a new wing here, putting an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards, doing all sorts of stuff. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace. A palace that he intends to come and live in himself. See, this transformation isn't just a process of refining the areas of, of us that we don't like. This whole renovation of the heart is one of the interior life as well. Paul describes this as a renewing of our mind. A gradual, but ultimately a complete shift in our world view. A shift which, over time, enables us to understand the heart of God for ourselves and to live it out accordingly. To embody a life that is more discerning towards the good things than the selfish and destructive things. A life that cares about work towards 
good things like justice and peace and compassion in our world. That combat suffering. And I think of it this way. As, as a dad, I tell my girls to do a great many things. And some of them, they even do. I also tell them not to do many things. All of which, from my perspective as a parent, as a good father, I think, are ultimately for their benefit, whether they realise them or not. But I'm, comf- but, but I'm not content to have them just obey my rules. I want them to grow up to understand my heart. I don't want them to steer clear of the oven because I tell them to. I want them to understand the oven is hot and steer clear of it for themselves. And, and that's the growth and maturity of faith I believe Paul has in mind. A transformation. But not just towards being like our parents or doing the right things because we're told to, but a transformation towards perfection that helps us understand the world like Jesus, that we'll ultimately be like Jesus, to to be all we were created to be. And how are you going with all of this? It's dense. Luckily, you can listen to it again if I'm not as clear as I hope to be. But our heart as a church is that everyone, no matter who they are, has the chance to experience this transformation offered to us through the good news of Jesus. Why? Because we believe it is the best thing on offer in this life. During Jesus' life and ministry, there was this moment recorded in John's gospel where he got to the Jesus got to the pointy end of his teachings and he began laying out clearly that he was the only way to God. And people started to struggle with that. They couldn't accept it and they started walking away. And Jesus turns to his disciples, the ones that had been following him, and says, are you going to go as well? Are you going too? But they respond with this. And it's incredible. Lord, where else are we going to go? You're the one with the words of eternal life. We trust you. No one else is offering what you're offering. And so these disciples, the ones that had been closest to Jesus, had heard the evidence, had seen the teachings, had heard it, every, had heard it all, and they were satisfied. They trusted him. They believed that there was nothing else out there that compares with what Jesus is offering. And our heart as a church is as followers of Jesus is actually no different from that. We've all seen what else is out there. We've tasted it, experienced it. We've tried it. We've bought it. We've put our hope in it. We've spent hours scrolling through it. And every time we come to the same conclusion, it cannot fill the gap. The emptiness, the loneliness, the lack of purpose or significance, or however that God-shaped hole finds expression in our life. Nothing fits it except Jesus. And when we choose to trust, trust him over and above everything else, that transformation truly begins. But as I said before, it takes a lifetime. And because it does, for those of us that are followers of Jesus, this vision that we have of transformation doesn't just apply to those that haven't followed Jesus yet. It applies to us. Jesus isn't done with us. There's more to it. And as C.S. Lewis describes it, some things we're going to expect And some things we won't, they'll push against our comfort. But either way, we trust that the journey will be worth it. Why? Because Jesus promised it would be. So, I don't know where this lands for you. I don't know where you're at. But if you're a follower of Jesus, my prayer is that this word would ignite something in you. To make this a year of leaning ever closer to God's best for you some of which we'll explore how to do in the next few weeks. 
But if, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I believe that you're not here by accident. That, that God is offering an invitation for you to consider, perhaps for the first time, the gift of life offered through Jesus. You've tried everything else and you're still empty. You're still anxious. And so I invite you to consider Jesus today. All you need to do is accept it in your heart and he does the rest. So our vision as a church is to see lives transformed with the good news of Jesus Christ. Only Jesus can transform, not us. And that journey takes a lifetime. It can begin in a moment and that moment can be now for you. But for those that have been following for a while, we are reminded it takes us a lifetime. And so God's not done with us. And if we're not dead, God's not done. So may this be a year that we can lean in to God and discover in richer and more wonderful ways what he has in store for us to shape us to be more like him and to live a life that brings God glory in this world. So would you pray with me, church? Well, loving and gracious God, we thank you for the chance to open your word and see what it's got to say to us. And Lord, we thank you for the vision that you have given us, one that drives us forward. It unites us. It gives us purpose and it refines what we do as well. And Lord, it's a beautiful picture, a picture of lives transformed, of renewal, of the best lives that we can live. And so, Lord, I pray for those of us that are followers of Jesus, help us to have open hearts to receive your guidance this year about the places we need to change, where, where our perspective needs to be transformed. Help to continue that work. Give us a teachable spirit once again. Soften our hearts where they have hardened so that you can continue to renovate them in all the ways that you want to. But Lord, I also pray for those that have not ever received Jesus for themselves. They haven't put their trust. Lord, I pray in this moment that you would help us to accept that truth for ourselves for the first time, if that's your story. And we pray together, Lord, I want to trust you today. I want to put my hope in you. Show me all that you have done for me. Help me to give my life over to you. Because I choose now to no longer trust the things of this world, but instead to trust you and to trust in your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for the new life that you offer. Now I give mine to you. In your name we pray and all of God's people said, Amen. Well, as we finish up our service today, I want to thank you for joining us. I want to be excited with you. If you gave your life to, to Christ for the first time, I want to hear from you. I want you to reach out through social, send me a message, an email, a phone call, whatever you can to reach out. Tell someone about it because it's an extraordinary gift that will be unlike anything you have ever experienced in your life. But as we draw this service to a close, I invite you to stand with us wherever you are. 
if you're able to, and invite you to sing praises to our God once more. So thanks for the privilege of being able to lead you in this service today. Until we talk again or until I see you, take care and God bless.